there are three of you because we have got to the last chunk of our last visit into the book of James um, and we're in chapter five we've had five weeks and I thought what the heck let's read the whole chapter so um, it is quite it is quite a lot so I've split it up into three and there's sort of three distinct voices you've got the um, the Old Testament prophet style rants coming up I think that's LJ We've got the, uh, the, the comforting, comforting tones of Sue, and then we've got the sort of more pragmatic, this is how you do it, um, with Kez on the end. I have thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to get into um, the book of James. Just a recap, this is, we, uh, our best guess is that this James is none other than the younger brother of Jesus himself. He was a skeptic. Um, not a convinced follower until he witnesses the resurrection. This changes everything for him. He rises to prominence within the Jerusalem church, which is this fledgling um, Jewish Jesus follower movement. And then perhaps just 10, 15 years after the original Easter, he's writing this letter out to the other fledgling small groups worth on the fringes of the synagogues, uh, Jesus follower movement, and wonderfully, this letter is preserved, survived. We get to include it in our scriptures and enjoy it, and it speaks to us as much as ever. So, over to you. Now listen. You rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of the slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. 
he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Thank you so much. Brilliant. So, we're going to begin on a bit of an imaginative exercise. The year is 1934, and you, believe it or not, are a Welsh farmer on some remote, beautiful Welsh landscape, tending your leeks <laughs> and your lambs, coming up to lambing season, it's a bit cold. And looking out of your, um, you know, across your farm one day, you notice over on your, the neighbouring farm some strange activity. And this team of men are putting up a series of um, tall posts in a sort of straight line um, going across your neighbour's farm. And then atop the posts are these sort of, they're stringing something along. What's going on? End of the week, Friday night, down the pub, and... These pylons are the talk of the place. Electricity? <laughs> Here? <laughs> Who would have believed that? And um, old Llewellyn Jenkins, he stands up at the bar and with a sort of visionary zeal, he pronounces that electricity is at hand. It is here. This is going to change everything. And he was exactly right. That's how it was. With the arrival of these pylons, a whole different way of living was presenting itself to you and to your neighbours, with big implications for things like lighting, for what you did of an evening, for how you prepared your food, for washing for washing clothes, and so on. And you tune in, because Llewellyn Jenkins is still going. And he says, there's even something that's not long got, long got going now, and you're not going to believe this. It will blow your minds. They call it television. The British Broadcasting Corporation. We are going to not just be connected with the power, he's saying. We're going to be connected with each other, with the city, with Cardiff with London. You'd better believe it. You need to understand it. You're going to need to change your old ways. Turn away from your kerosene lamps, from your ice boxes, from your cellars, from those old scrub boards. Repent and believe that electricity is at hand. Jesus's basic message was repent, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The Israelites the Jewish people, they'd long observed that all was not well with the world. And they looked forward. They ached deep inside. They longed for that day of peace, of wholeness, of the fullness of God's victory over evil. And it was a day of togetherness, of God with his people and peace between men. This grand reconciliation, this bringing back together of all that is broken. And Jesus said that that future reality that you've all been longing for, that the prophets 
dreamed of? Actually, it's here. It is at hand. You can enter into it now in meaningful, substantial ways. And it starts with a simple prayer of surrender, and it takes you into all sorts of exciting, wonderful places. The parallel, I think, with the early years of electricity is helpful. Firstly, because of the fact that, strangely enough, not everyone connected got on board with the fact that electricity was now at hand. Maybe they didn't want to change. Maybe they thought it wasn't for them or that they couldn't afford it. But also because, especially looking just like in that decade of the early years, I think it gives us a useful picture of the reality of the kingdom of God that is, that is now and not yet. And so the connection was truly available. There it was, substantially and meaningfully here. And yet for sure, the fullness of reception of the electrical age was by no means up and running. So back on the farm, on our Welsh hillside in the 1930s, even though they could barely imagine television, let alone microwaves, let alone computers or electric cars, even though they had such a limited view of what electricity would come to, to mean in all its fullness. Nevertheless, electricity was there and then at hand. It was a reality to participate in in meaningful and substantial ways. And so, like Llewellyn up at the bar pronouncing on the reality of the kingdom that you can participate in now, James, Jacob, the brother of Jesus, is guided by this similar sense of where all of this is going towards a fullness, towards a wholeness, towards a healing, towards a togetherness. This is the destiny. This is what turns out to be true. And this is what we're all invited to participate in now. This coming wholeness is what we are called to live into today. So how do we do that? What does that look like? James gets going at the beginning of chapter 5 on quite the, uh, the sort of Old Testament prophet angry rant. And he is angry at the abuse of power that he sees at large in the world. The wages that were the failed to be paid. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, he says. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Where are you powerful? Where do you have decisions to make that impact the lives of others? Are you a manager? Are you a parent? What are you doing with the power that you wield? There's a, um, one of my favorite tweets of the, uh, the last two months said this, and I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful corrective to some of our ideas about how we need to try and get ahead in life or, you know, keep others down and, and no, 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 that's like such a perverse way of, of looking at things, of operating at things, given the fact that where things are going is this wholeness, this healing, this togetherness. And this is the three sentences in a tweet that correct some of our stupid ideas. And Hannah Anderson said this, none of us are called to careers. We are called to people. We are called to leverage whatever opportunities and gifts we have for the good of those around us.
We're not called to careers, we're called to people. We're called to leverage whatever opportunities and gifts we have for the good of those around us. So he has that sort of complaint at the powerful and then to the weak, the tone that James gets into is so different. He offers comfort and he says to them, be patient because this is not the way things are always going to be. And this is the bit that's written to the original direct sort of target audience. This is where the Jesus movement was on the, they were not the powerful um, big, you know, occupying the cathedral in Rome by any stretch of the imagination. At this point, they are on the fringe. There is all sorts of threat to their existence. Life is difficult. They knew suffering. And he offers this encouragement. He says, be patient, because this is all going somewhere. This isn't how it's going to be. And you know what, in fact? Your perseverance, that determination you demonstrate to keep on going, to keep putting one foot in front of the other, to keep walking through whatever it is that you're going through, he says, that's really precious. God sees that. And you know what? That is so much more precious than the hedge fund, than the, the pot of gold that the moths break into and eat and destroy and stuff that is of no real significance, no eternal value. Okay, in the middle of that encouragement he's offering to people to be patient amidst a difficult situation, he says not to grumble about each other. This encouragement, and don't grumble about each other. Over lunch in the office uh, this week, um, a few of us were sat around eating our lunches, and one of us had come across the line, um, observation without love is sin. We don't always sort of sit around pondering nice, wise-sounding sentences, but this was a rare occasion, and we were. Normally, we're having uh, ridiculous conversations about, um, you know, if you were a, I don't know what, movie star, which one would play your life, or, you know, brilliant conversations like that. But this time, it was deep. It was meaningful. It was contemplating observation without love is sin. And it's saying that, actually, when we go about our lives and we're noticing things about those around us, when we're noticing, oh, he's done that again, Oh, that's typical. He's, he's really messed that up, hasn't he? And when, when, our, when we're noticing things like that and our hearts are not attached to that person within the truth of the reality that our future is bound up together, then actually it's us who are the ones out of whack in that moment. We do not write people off. We do not tear people down because all of this is going somewhere towards a fullness and a healing and a wholeness and a togetherness. The prophet Isaiah, um, or at least the book Isaiah, looked forward to the moment when the one who was formerly considered a predator would be lying down with the one formerly considered prey. And there is this, again, that is the picture of where things are going. That's the sort of profound reconciled peace that is coming and we get to participate in that ultimate reality now that's the call that's the opportunity that's the invitation okay skip down to the bit about confessing our sins verse 16 says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and this is an invitation again towards this fully alive sort of life towards wholeness into healing, 
towards faith in the reality of the gospel that says what? That says that the stuff that you did that you've never told anybody about, do you know what? You can actually afford to face up to that, to be honest about it. Because in the end, it is not ultimately defining of who you are. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word over your life. Because all of this is all going somewhere. It's towards a wholeness and a healing, a fullness, a togetherness, where we are known and where we're still loved. And we can enter into that reality now. We can plug into that sort of healing now. We can switch the lights on. We can learn to talk about the deepest and the darkest shadows. It's so worth it. So you might need to send a text tonight saying, hey, I've got something I really need to talk to you about. You might need to open your diary and put in a reminder of that thing that you need to get on with and do. Back in the 1930s, on your farm, it actually took a fair bit of deliberate effort and um, deliberate sort of like choice to, to, to get involved with the, the whole electricity thing. But really, why wouldn't you want to? How can you not? This is the way things are heading and we are invited to participate in that beautiful reality now. It's what you're made for. Okay, verse 13, skipping back to that bit, he gets on to talking about prayer. And he says, in essence, if you're in trouble, pray. And if life is going swimmingly well, then pray. Then praise God. And it's this corrective not to fall into the trap or even the anxiety of imagining that we are self-made creatures, independent sort of creatures. Instead, it is using the good and the bad to thrust us into this connection of relationship. And that's where prayer comes in. That's what prayer is all about. <coughs> Rejecting the temptation to slap ourselves on the back when we think, you know, we're, we're winning. Rejecting the fear and the, the anxiety of when we feel like we're losing. And in it all, learning that bit more to trust God, to invite him to be a part of it. To cultivate the sort of dependence that is fitting. Again, because all of this is going somewhere towards this fullness, this wholeness, this healing, this togetherness. The book of Revelation describes it as a wedding. It talks about that day when God will be with his people, this close relationship of trust and faith and dependence. That is where it's at. That's where this is all heading. And that's the reality that we get to participate in now to learn to walk in. Okay, then he talks about prayers for sickness, which is the bit that kicks up a million questions, at least does to me when I'm reading it. Questions like, well, who counts? I mean, let's just read it. Anyone sick? Call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the, pers the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. 
So questions like, who counts as elders? Like, what's the significance of having the right people in the room? What's oil got to do with it? Is there some sort of technique that, that works out well? What counts as a prayer of faith? And what about when it doesn't work? And what about when it doesn't work again and again? What does it mean for the Lord to raise someone up? Can we even believe in miracles anyway, anymore? Now we've uncovered science and now we understand a bit more about how bodies work and what is a miracle anyway? I mean, these are some of the questions that sort of just kick up into my mind when I read a passage like that. And I have a few thoughts around them. I don't have time to go through um, them all. These are important questions. And some of them will be your big question and not other people's big question. And I'd encourage you, this is not the last word on any of this stuff. That That's true of any sermon, actually, you listen to. Let it be the first word that springboards you into all sorts of further thinking and conversation and but that's very true of this stuff tonight very aware of that um instead of trying to tackle some of these difficult important sensitive questions what i thought i'd do is tell a few stories but before we get to that there are four things that i am kind of confident on in the midst of that and that is this that actually this is all miracle this life from the stars to a cup of coffee, to the skill of a surgeon, to weather patterns, the wonder of this existence. It's all miracle. The universe is more marvellous than we can get our heads around. That was number two. Number three is that prayer is not about correct technique or the right people or the right oil or the right sentences said in the right way with your hands laid on in the right position. Technique is to do with control, and prayer is profoundly to do with our lack, our helplessness, and actually our just need of God. Giving up our own control to make things work out. The, you know, the word for all of that stuff, when it's all about the right words and the right technique and the, the special person to do it, the word for that, is, I would suggest, provocatively, is witchcraft. No, no. We're into trusting in God. The fourth thing is that when we pray, my experience is that coincidences happen. Our story is the one of God intervening in this world, of getting involved, the one who is seeing, the one who is interested cares. This is a story of his concern for the world, for your life. This is the story of his presence with us. Okay, a couple of stories. First one, 2010. Chap that many of you will know, at least some of you will know, um, normally comes in the morning chap called Les Gonzalez, and in 2010, he finds himself after a cardiac arrest in intensive care in Bristol. Um, and then he has another cardiac arrest, and uh, it's not going at all well as the pneumonia kicks in and the liver failure, was it kidney failure? 
written down the details here, kidney failure. And he's in intensive care, and he really should have died. And um, the church comes together. This is before I was here, but the church is praying. The community of all saints is praying like never before. And, um, and then some are, are going into intensive care, and they're just stood there, and they're singing, and they're praying with him. And, um, and he's out of it, of course. But he made it. And it was a very slim chance of recovery from that moment. It was not looking good at all. And not only did he come around, but he came around without any brain damage. And so Les being Les, six months later, he goes back into intensive care, the, the unit, buzzes in. And when the senior male nurse in the centre sees him, he, he breaks down crying. When it's like, it's Gonzalez. Who? You? And the nurses who were around saw him and were squealing with delight that he'd made it. And it was a remarkable story of a coincidence when the church were praying. And I know this straight away that kicks up all the questions. Okay, what about that time when everyone was praying and it didn't happen? And these are the big questions and these, there's no easy answers for them. But nevertheless, I think we've got to hold on to some of these moments where something remarkable did happen. Like uh, little Marcy Knight, there's an um, eight-year-old, uh, Jamie Knight's daughter, if you know Jamie. And um, uh, just November, at the end of last year, she goes for a CT scan, she's having some trouble with her ear, and the um, scan revealed this significant growth in her ear. It's a condition that is benign growth that is prone to repeated infection, um, and the repeated infections can have severe implications for surrounding tissue, including the brain, and so they needed to get this thing out. So she's scheduled for an uh, operation in January. And since that scan, every night, uh, little Marcy had said to her parents, you know, would you, can we pray for my ear? Can we pray for my ear? And of course they did, and that added to the prayers of their own prayers for the well-being of their little girl. And, um, and then it comes to the day of the operation, and the beginning of January this year, and thankfully they stick a little camera in first to just check what's what. Before shaving her head, before taking out bits of her skull to access where they need to access and this four-hour-long operation to scrape away the offending tissue and reconstruct the, the ear. Um, they stuck the camera in, and what did they discover? A much smaller growth on the right side of an eardrum that wasn't, hadn't been inverted like they thought it was going to be, and so it was a very simple operation to take off the offending tissue and put in grommets, and it was a wonderful wonderful bit of good news for that family, for that little girl, as her prayers seem to have been answered. Was it some terrible, um, awful mistake upstream with the person reading this? I don't know. I'm no expert on the situation, but for that little girl, suddenly it, her life is, has changed. And I think these things come to us, these answers to prayer, often in just my humble reading of situations when we need them and, and they're signs of this coming fullness, of this coming healing. All healings are kind of temporary, we all still die. But actually they're these, these signs of, of what God is all about, what his heartbeat is all about, what this future reality is going to look like. Final one. 
And these are not my words. These are the words of Alice Pirri. Alice and Mark, many of you will know them. And these are brave words, and I'm so um, thankful to Alice for being willing to share them with all of us. Um, but listen to this. She says this. I was first diagnosed with anorexia 17 years ago and have struggled on and off with the illness ever since. After six years of childless marriage and being devastated by my latest set of scans and hormone tests which showed, not for the first time, that my body was too damaged to have children, a friend offered to pray for me. I was reluctant, thinking that I'd only be disappointed when our prayers weren't answered. But she was full of faith and insisted. So she laid her hands on my belly and prayed for a long time, commanding my body and all my organs to be completely healed in Jesus' name. I went home and I thought nothing more of it until I started feeling achy and nauseous a few weeks later. Eventually, when the feeling didn't subside, I found out in complete shock and amazement that our baby had been conceived the day after I was prayed for. I was ecstatic, but also terrified that as I was still physically not well, my body wouldn't be able to cope with the pregnancy. My medical team were concerned and arranged lots of extra scans and appointments to check on our progress. Six months on, after constant prayers for continued healing and health, our baby has defied expectations and is growing big and strong. And we're looking forward to meeting him or her in June. And if you see Alice, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is all going somewhere. This life. This human history is moving towards a fullness, a wholeness, a healing, a togetherness, a grand reconciliation of broken things being put back together. There is going to be a wedding. There is going to be a feast. There is going to be a family. And we get to participate in that reality now. That's the calling. Should we stand? And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray first for God to give us vision and faith. That we might be seeing with the same sort of eyes that James, Jacob, Yaakov, the writer of these words, that we might receive the same sort of courage, that we might grow in the same sort of confidence, that we might consider it joy when tough stuff comes along. Because we're able to zoom out and and get a glimpse of where all this is heading. That we're able to pray 
your kingdom come. That we're able to live these lives of anticipation in more substantial and more meaningful ways. So come and renew our imaginations. Come Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. And we pray, come Holy Spirit and uh, nudge us, convict us, show us where our relationships need reconciling, need fixing, where there is broken relationship. Give us the strength to take responsibility for that. Give wisdom, give tact, give skill, give opportunity. Lead us into the sort of lives that bear witness to your coming reality. And we pray for healing, for, for stories, for more stories, for more healing. Bring to mind situations that we're aware of uh, that need your healing touch right now. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Amen.